Amen. You may be seated. Hey, well, good morning and welcome to Tri-Cities Church. My name is Wesley. If this is your first time visiting here, I have the joy, the privilege, the honor of preaching here on most Sundays. And I, I just love being able to crack open the scriptures and, and to be able to share them and study them with you and to wrestle with uh, what, what they say. And so that's exactly what we're doing this morning. If you remember, we're in this series that we're wrapping up today. Uh, we've been, it's been called Give Us a King, where we've been looking at... Um, we, we started in, uh, in Samuel, 1 Samuel, uh, where, where the people came to Samuel and they said... Hey, give us a king, right? They looked around. They saw everyone else around them had a king. Uh, every nation around them was ruled by a king. Uh, and, and they almost, in a, um, almost in a, an aggressive but not so aggressive, it was a little bit more civil way, right? They came to Samuel and they said, we want a king. Give us a king, right? Their expectation was that uh, a king would do something um, because he was visible and physical and they could see him. They could see his power. They could see his palace, right? They could see his servants. They could see uh, um, what his, his army. They could see these things. Um, and, and, uh, and, and it was, they found it easier to put their hope there, right? And what they could see than to put their hope in God. And God says, hey, they're rejecting me as their, as their king. Um, but, but they had an expectation that an earthly king would do something that God couldn't. And then we saw last week, we looked at King David, and you can read throughout the Old Testament, there's king after king after king. Now, King David was the greatest king to ever rule in Israel, and he, the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. He pursued the Lord fervently. He pursued the Lord with his all, but he was still a, a flawed man, right? And he found himself uh, getting in trouble because he uh, conquered many nations, right? Conquered many people, but couldn't conquer his own flesh and we see that he got in trouble um, because of, of that and this morning we're, we are moving into the last message in this series uh, the one the bible calls the son of david um, the one who is the bible calls the king of kings right the one who reigns still on the throne of god's kingdom and so that's the one we're looking at this morning we're going to be in the book of john so if you have a bible you can go ahead and even and crack it open there uh, and let's pray and then we'll get into the message for this morning God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to gather in this place to sing songs of praise to you, the God who forever reigns. And God, as we open the scriptures this morning, I pray that we will read about the reign of God in the kingdom of God and what that means for us today. God, please illuminate our minds that we might see and understand the scriptures Give us understanding, but God, give us courage, boldness. Give us a mind that is set on doing your will so that after we've understood it, we won't turn and shrink back, but after we've understood it, we will charge forward saying, this is the way, this is the truth, this is the life. And I'm choosing it. We thank you, God, that you set that way forward for us. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Now, in John chapter 12, um, Jesus does something peculiar. Now, now, the gospel of John, right, in the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the fourth gospel, fourth book in the New Testament. Now, in John chapter 12, Jesus does something peculiar. John is one of my favorite 
books of the Bible. I, I love this book. I could read it over if I'm choosing one of the four Gospels to read. It's always the one that I choose. Um, if somebody comes to me and say, says, what book should I read in the Bible? I, I'm, I'm new to the faith. I want to understand Jesus. If they say, what book of the Bible should I read? Now, Luke is the longest and it's the most detailed, um, but it's also a little bit more complicated than others. But John is kind of simplistic in his language and the way he uses words. And, and he, he's, um, he, at least for me, he's very systematic in the way that he presents his material. Some have even suggested that the gospel of John was a sermon. It was a message that might have been preached by John. And so we're, we're kind of privileged to have this message uh, from one who calls himself an eyewitness of Jesus Christ. And so he's really writing about, right, not just a story that's been told to him. He's not just telling a story uh, and said, you know, years and years and years ago, this is what happened. No, John was there. He said, I saw it with my very eyes. And now here's the story that I have, a, have to tell as a, as a result of this. Um, and it's an incredible story. And he even gets at the end, and this is one thing we got to understand, um, and I'm not going to get too sidetracked here, but this is one thing we got to understand when we read the Bible is that it's incomplete. Because it's John that says, right, if we had enough, um, if everything that Jesus had done uh, was written, there wouldn't be enough room, I think he says, in the world to contain the books that could be written about Jesus Christ because he did so much in such a short period of time. But he was, a bu- he was busy as a man after, um, yeah, after God's own heart. He was pursuing the way and the will of God. And so uh, in John chapter 12, something peculiar happens. But John is kind of setting us up from this story from the beginning. And so we'll get there, but let me give you a little bit of the backstory. So what John does in this gospel, and this is really what I love uh, the most about it, is he, he, he has kind of an organizational mind, right, where he organizes the book around what he calls signs. And so there's seven signs, and some would even say there's eight signs, but there's at least seven signs in the gospel of John, beginning in John chapter 2, right? And the first one, and, and let, me, let me say this about these signs, they're, they're, they're a little bit, um, they're disjointed miracles. So there's God doing doing things that no one else is able to do, and they're a little bit disjointed, right? There's no, uh, there's no sense of continuity, at least, not at first, and there's no sense of continuity between these miracles. But there's these seven ones that John is using to kind of set us up for what happens in John chapter 12. And so the first one, you might be familiar with this story, is the one where Jesus turns the water into wine in John chapter 2. And so that's the first sign that's written in the Bible. Jesus is at this wedding party. Um, the party must have been going kind of hard, or at least there were a lot of people that there. They run out of wine. And the Bible says, right, he turns the water into wine. And even there's people that are kind of questioning it down in the uh, end of verse 10 there in John chapter two. He says, um, somebody said, but you have saved the best till now. So Jesus didn't make any old cheap wine. He made good wine. It was the best that they had more, better than what money could afford. So that's the first sign. Then in John chapter four, we have a, a, another sign. If you flip over a couple of pages in the Bible where there's this government official and, and Jesus, uh, he comes to Jesus and he says, my son's getting ready to die. Right. And he had begun hearing the stories of what Jesus could do. The Bible doesn't really tell us whether Jesus had, had healed anybody of illness yet, but he had at least heard the story of Jesus turning water into wine. I think the Bible even says this was in the same city where that happened. And he comes to Jesus and says, my son's getting ready to die. You can turn water into wine. Can you heal my son? And Jesus heals his, 
his son. And then the very next chapter, in chapter 5, there's another healing. And that's kind of the way these things, at least if you want to say they're connected in any way, that's kind of how these signs are connected. A lot of them are healings. There's this guy that's been laying by the side of this pool for a long time. He's paralyzed. He can't walk. There's this story, at least this, this belief that, that when the angel of God comes down from heaven and stores the water in the pool, um, that the first person in is healed. But this guy's paralyzed. And every time that happens, right, he, he's struggling to get over to get into that pool but he just can't he just can't do it and god heals him and then in john chapter 6 there's another story one of these signs that john talks about it's the feeding of the five thousand, where jesus takes two fish and five loaves of bread and there's five thousand people there and everybody's looking around like, what are you going to do with that they thought jesus because there was this little boy right who's walking down the street uh and he has this as his lunch and jesus kind of takes this boy's lunch and everybody's like, oh, hold on, what's, what's, what's Jesus doing? Taking this little boy's lunch and he multiplies it. Shows God's power to multiply. And then in John chapter 6, again, um, there's another one where Jesus walks on water. His disciples are out there. The wind's blowing. They're a little bit afraid. And Jesus comes walking to them on the water. And John says, hey, this is a sign. This is, this is a sign. If you skip over a couple of other chapters in the Bible, I think John chapter nine um, there's another one this actually this is my favorite uh, of the signs that jesus performs um, It's this guy that was born blind right and uh, he had been blind all of his life he was a grown man um and jesus meets him and, and it's kind of neat because jesus says hey do you want to see and this guy's like what do you think like i've never seen before everybody else can see i have to rely on people to show me around and, and jesus gets down on the ground it's kind of odd i think if this guy was able to see it he might have been like whoa whoa but jesus gets down on the ground and he, he kind of gets some spit up in his mouth and he spits in the ground and he stirs it with his finger. It's kind of disgusting. Stirs it with his finger and then does like a, 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 a mud facial on this guy, right? He puts some of that mud over this guy's eyes, right? And then tells him to go wash this off. I'm sure Jesus didn't even have to tell him to wash it off. It's like spit on the face. <laughs> wash it off. Okay, got that one. He goes and washes it off, opens his eyes, and for the first time he sees. John says this was a sign. And then in John chapter 11, it's the seventh of these signs. It's this guy named Lazarus that was dead. Um, his family had already mourned for him, mourned over him. They had buried him, I believe it was four days that he had been in the grave. And Jesus shows up and everybody's like, you're too late, brother. We already wrapped him up in, the, in this uh, tomb, uh, the clothes, uh, grave clothes. We've wrapped him up. We've sealed the tomb up. He, he's already long gone. We've grieved. We've moved on with the idea that, this, that, that our brother will never live again. And Jesus says, right, remove the stone. And then he calls him out and he comes back to life. And John says, hey, yeah, that's a sign. And so John is telling these signs that appear to be disjointed. But one of the things that I believe we can see from these signs, although I, I'm not sure the connection is very clear, but the one thing that I believe we can see is that Jesus, John is telling us that Jesus is Lord over the mundane, right? The everyday things like running out of wine to drink, right? Jesus is Lord over that. He's Lord over fishermen out at sea. He can walk on the water, but he's also Lord of the major, right? So he's Lord of the mundane, the everyday minor things that we go through but he's lord of the major right he's lord of death he's lord of sickness he's lord of illness that he's god over all of that and so john is emphasizing this as he moves through this gospel now something happens in john chapter 12 like i opened with something peculiar happens after he heals um this guy lazarus 
Like this word begins, not heals them, after he raises them from the dead, right? This word begins to travel. And now Jesus is still traveling around a little bit and then going from town to town. But when he returns to Bethany where he heals Lazarus, Lazarus, people began to hear that he's there. And this story is spreading. And people want to meet him. People want to know him. In fact, they want to crown him as king. They want to make him their king. And so when he leaves Bethany on his way to Jerusalem, people come out from their houses. They come out from the towns. They gather there on the side of the road. And I don't even know how word traveled because they couldn't text each other or call each other, any of that kind of stuff. They must have had runners that were running from neighborhood to neighborhood to neighborhood, shouting out that Jesus is coming. And when Jesus comes down the road, the people are there, right? And they begin taking off their coats and laying them on the ground. They're literally rolling out this red carpet of sorts. And they begin cutting palm branches branches off these trees and they be, become, begin waving them because they're a sign that the king has won the victory. And they roll out this red carpet for Jesus, almost like a victory parade for a king that's coming back for battle. But look at what happens, uh, happens here. And I'm going to begin in John chapter 12, right at the very beginning. Um, and it says this, this, well, no, no, not at the very beginning, down in, in verse 12. It says, the next day, the great crowds that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way. They took palm branches and they came out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Now this word Hosanna, we have songs that use this word. We use it over and over again, but sometimes we don't even, we say things, we don't know what they mean. Um, This word Hosanna, at least um, in the way that we use it, is kind of a shout of praise, right? It's kind of like salvation is here, like our salvation has arrived. And so here the people are, they're out on the side of the road. They're saying, yes, Hosanna, salvation is here. But but this word has roots in, in the Bible. If you could even go back to the original um, uh, languages, this word Hosanna is actually kind of a transliteration. It's a translation of, of, of the word in Greek that sounds similar to Hosanna, that, that, that means Hosanna, right? And, and then that word actually came from a Hebrew word um, that, that was pronounced something similar to Hosanna that, meant, um, that means uh, play, save us, please. Please, Lord, save us. And in fact, if you look back, and even if you're in a Bible with footnotes, you can... Um, you can see this uh, down in the footnotes. It tells you um, in some Bibles, it'll tell you to look back at Psalm 118, verse 25 and 26. Uh, and so if you went back to Psalm 118 and verse 25 and 26, you would see this, this scripture here. It says, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Where it says, Lord, save us. That's the word Hosanna. That's the word Hosanna. And so they're saying, Hosanna, Lord, grant us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. Right. And so here's this scripture and the people are actually quoting this as Jesus comes down the street. And really what they're saying is not just Lord, please save us. But now in this day, this word has kind of evolved to mean salvation is here. Our savior is here. And so here they are, these people that have been longing for a king for generation upon generation. For over 400 years, they had been longing for this king. And Jesus comes down the road. They know of what he's done. This must be the king that God is sending. And he's going to conquer our enemies. He's going to defeat all who stand against us. And he's going to raise this nation up to be the one that it's clear that this is God's own people that's 
their expectation. They believed that Jesus was going to release them from being under the oppressive forces of the Romans. And that never again, because the way the, the scriptures went, is that this guy was going to reign forever. God's Messiah, God's chosen one was going to reign forever. And so they say, Lord, please save us. Salvation is here. And then Jesus does something peculiar in that very next verse. He gets on a donkey. He finds one and he begins to ride into the town. Instead of riding on a horse, a war horse is a normal king ride. When the victory has been won, Jesus decides to get on this donkey and he sends a sign. He sends a sign that the kingdom is here, but it's not what you think. Look with me back in John chapter 12 at what happens here. In John chapter 12, in the very next uh, verses, he says this. Um, Let me get there real quick. It says this. It says, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's Colt. And so here's Jesus in a very humble way, riding into town. And really what he's doing, he's not saying, you've got this all wrong. There's no kingdom coming. But he's saying, he's actually announcing the coming arrival, at least, of God's kingdom. He's saying, God's kingdom is here, but it's not what you think. <laughs> that God's kingdom is here, but yeah, it's it's not what you, what you thought it was. You see, Israel had formed this mental framework of what a kingdom looked like that was based in the monarchy. A good kingdom was one that conquered their enemies, right? Defeated all the enemies. A good kingdom was one where prosperity ruled over all things and the people were very prosperous and they had what they, what they wanted and what they needed. A good king was one that pursued after God's own heart and got them in right standing with God, but then also pursued the, the concerns and the uh, desires of the people where, where the economy economy flourished and, and, and the people flourished and the, the people lived in a time of peace. A good king was one of those that set up his kingdom on earth and he reigned. And that was Israel's framework of, of what a king was like. They measured, um, they, they measured the, the success of a kingdom on these, these earthly, for lack of a better word, these earthly scales. And so, yeah, a good king was one that had a political clout. A good king was one that had social status. A good one was one who had conquered territory. A good king was one that had surrounded himself with lots of wealth. And so these kings did this, right? That's what they did. They surrounded themselves with all these things, kind of the trappings of success, these images of success that set them up for a false sense of security. And Jesus comes with none of those. (laughs) He comes on a donkey. And he's announcing the kingdom of God is here. (laughs) But it's not what you think. You see, in the kingdom of God, success is measured with a different scale. In God's kingdom, success is measured with a different, a different scale. You see, success is not about land, wealth, 
political clout and, and, and social status, right? It's, it's not about those things, but it's about the ethic of heaven invading the earth, right? It's about God has done something, right, to, uh, to, to embody human form, to set up his kingdom so that through human beings, God might do something more powerful. So now the ethic of kingdom, the ways of, of uh, uh, ethic of heaven, the ways of heaven, the ways of God Almighty are now invading the spaces of this world. You see, God's kingdom's about this, this pathway that Jesus marked out for us, where it's come, follow me, live in this way, right? And, and you'll see what God is doing here. You see, this success in God's kingdom is measured with, with a different scale. It's about how well we are embodying and embracing the ethic of heaven, the way of God, this compassion, this humility that we see in Jesus Christ, um, th- this kindness, this gentleness, this love, but at the same time, this firm firmness and this firm commitment to the ways of the Lord in our society. Right? We see that clearly in Jesus Christ, and he's inaugurating, uh, he's being inaugurated as king of God's kingdom, where this this kind of um, th- this kind of ethic, this kind of uh, of, of value system is what reigns in this in this world and it's spreading and so god is calling us to live as citizens of god's kingdom a kingdom not where success is measured by how much we hold on to but it's measured by how much we're able to let go of You see, success in God's kingdom is not about holding on to the earth, but it's about letting go of the earth. It's about saying that these things, and this is this is the the challenging thing because, um, and and I've been saying this for the last couple of weeks because I find myself in that place as I read the scriptures. Right there's this tension that we that we stand in. It's not that God doesn't want you to um, have a house. It's not that God doesn't want you to have a car. It's not that God doesn't want you to have a good job. Um, it's not that God doesn't want you to have uh, decent clothes to wear. It's not that God doesn't want you to have these things. Um, but, but the problem is when these things, um, be, the, the pursuit of these things and, and even the attainment of them begins to shape and define who we see ourselves as and the value that we place on ourselves. When our values are placed or determined, at least, or defined by what I'm able to afford, what I'm able to accomplish, what I'm able to attain for myself, um, then that value is always uh, at the same time being gained and diminishing, right? And in God's kingdom, he's saying, hey, that's not where your value comes from, right? And so so the, the teaching there is to begin letting go of the earth. Begin letting go of these things that, that ultim, ultimately are temporary um, and that, that depreciate and that have no real lasting value in our lives. And letting go of them isn't, isn't a matter of um, selling your house or giving away your car and those kind of things. But it's saying don't hold on to those things so tightly. Don't hold on to the pursuit of those things so tightly that they stand in the way of the pursuit of God. And that looks different for all of us, what that looks like. But yeah, but that, that job is not so, so meaningful, is not so important that, that it, 
it has to stand in the way of the pursuit of God, that you're holding on to it so tight that even you're bending your ethics, you're building, bending your values, you're bending uh, your own right judgment and the things that you consider right, right? And you're bending that for, for employment or that car isn't worth enough that the pursuit of it is making you have to sacrifice what you're able to do for God's kingdom and the way you're being able to give generos- generos- generously to what God is doing, right? And the, the pursuit of these earthly things, right? That house and that mortgage isn't worth sacrificing the pursuit of God where you have to get two and three and four jobs and you're not able to be a part of what God is doing because you're so busy trying to meet the need of these things that you're holding on to. And yeah, what Jesus is teaching is God's kingdom is here. But it's not about how tightly we grasp hold of the earth. But it's about letting go of the earth that we might embody and embrace the ethic of heaven. And so, yeah, God was announcing through Jesus Christ the arrival of God's kingdom. But it's not what you think. You see, this message conflicts with... um, uh, it conflicts with this uh, feel-good Christian message that has been popularized today. Because what Jesus didn't say, at least I haven't found the scripture where he said that, he doesn't say, hey, come follow me, right? And I'll make you happy, uh, healthy, wealthy, and that all your dreams and desires will be fulfilled. That would be nice, right? It would make evangelism a lot easier, like telling people about our faith and say, hey, come to my church, right? If, if that were so, Right. If everybody in here was healthy, wealthy. Uh, uh, yeah, that would be nice. Healthy, uh, wealthy. And all of our desires were being fulfilled. All we would have to do is open the doors and people would come flooding in. But that's not the way of Jesus Christ. This, this message that's often um, this often preached in our world that teaches that. Right. It, it is not the way that Jesus is teaching. In fact, the way of Jesus is the way of Jesus. We see him going through it in the scriptures. Right. And it's marked by a road where he says things like the son of man has no place to lay his home because he's busy pursuing the ways and the will of God is marked by one that kneeled before he went to the cross and said, God, I don't want to do this. Um, but because this is your will, I will do it. It's marked by things like what we see in John chapter 13 in the very next chapter where Jesus kind of rides in people are ready to crown him as king and that next chapter um and, and i always wonder what this what this this must have been like as it actually played out jesus is at this uh, kind of like a dinner party and he's sitting down and having dinner with people and he gets up and he begins taking his kind of over overcoat his cloak off wraps it around his waist and he gets down on the ground with a water basin and begins washing people's feet now what king would do that but what he's teaching us is that the way of god in the, on this earth is not marked by uh, is not marked by health all the time, wealth all the time, uh, fulfillment of all our desires all the time. But it's often marked by service, right? Service to others through compassion is marked by sacrifice. It's marked by uh, even hardship and challenges, and even sometimes persecution, right? Even sometimes being um, accounted out because of the faith and the God that you've counted in, knowing that He that is is for me though is bigger than him that is against me, that, that, that God's power is bigger, but knowing that, that there's times that we will be counted out as a result of our faith. And it's about staying with that uh, even through that challenge and that hardship. In the early church and even Christians today, um, they're, they're being killed for their faith. 
than in being taken to those extremes. And Jesus is still saying the kingdom of God is here. And it's seen in those who stay on the way of God, who serve others, who sacrifice for the good of this world, who face persecution and even death with the joy of the Lord overwhelming in their heart. Yeah, it's back to that tension that we talked about, that we are people who stand in that tension where, yeah, there's things happening around us that do not produce joy, but there's a joy that happens because we know that we're on the right way. In fact, just this morning, I was sitting there thinking, one of the things I hate more than anything else is to get lost, right? If you're in the car and you're going somewhere and you get lost, I am one of those guys that will, I I don't know if I've ever stopped and asked for directions. My wife will be like, stop and ask for directions. Come on, there's a gas station here. Stop, just just stop. There's somebody on the side of the road, roll down the window, ask them for directions. Yeah, yeah, Uh, look look it up. I don't even want to look it up on my phone now. Look it up on your phone. I I got it, I got it. I'll find the way, right? But there's nothing that I hate more than being lost and on the wrong, wrong road. But what Jesus is teaching us here is you're on the right way. You're on the right way. There may be curves. There may be hills to climb. There may be what appears to be roadblocks and hardship and suffering and bumps in the road and accidents along the way. But you're on the right way when you're pursuing the way of Jesus Christ. And so, yeah, what he's teaching is the kingdom of God is here, but it's not what you think. It won't feel like it all the time. You won't be healthy all the time. You won't have wealth all the time. You may be struggling to keep your head above the water from time to time. But as long as you're trusting in the way, you will live into God's future for you. And so I believe the takeaway from this scripture is this, right? And I know this is kind of a, um, yeah, it's kind of like, oh, like, why can't he say God wants me healthy? Like, why, why can't he say, well, maybe I shouldn't say God wants you. God does want you healthy. Um, why, why did he say that God's going to heal me today for sure if I believe hard enough, right? Why didn't he say God is going to get me that job that's going to make me wealthy and able to afford all the things I want today, right? If, if I believe hard enough. Why did he say that? Like, I don't want to set you up for failure. But I do want to set you up so that you can live as a citizen of God's kingdom. You see, it's not just about living in God's kingdom, but it's about living as a citizen of God's kingdom. And when we do that, what we're doing is saying, I am subject to the king, and this is the way I will follow. And so what this scripture is calling us to do, and this is a challenge for me, um, particularly in my life. Um, it's a challenge for me because, uh, b- because I've become so focused on what's ahead of me uh, and focused on what, I, what, I set, what I'm setting out to do and accomplish did I rarely slow down to pay attention to what's happening around me? But what this is teaching us to do is that we are living in God's kingdom, a place where God reigns, right? Where, where God is king. He's Lord over the minor, the mundane, 
and the major, and he's at work here. And so it's teaching us to live with our eyes wide open. To live with our eyes wide open where we're looking for opportunities to serve. Not just when they come to us, but we're looking attentive for opportunities to serve. And this is almost something that is kind of like a habit. We have to train our brain to do this, right? So that when you, when you step out of your house in the morning, you, you're scanning the neighborhood, not just going straight for the car, but you're scanning the neighborhood and you've built margin into your life. Remember, we talked about margin a little over a month ago, right? You've built margin in your life so that if you see someone in need, right, you're not just trying to um, get in the car and get to work because you're 10 minutes late already, but you've built margin into your life and you you can, uh, you can see opportunities there are for you to serve and you can step in, right? It's about building that margin into our lives that, that we might, through our lives, display the reign of God. And so, yeah, we're looking for opportunities to serve. When we go in the grocery store, uh, we're not just about getting this, 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 and getting out all the time, but we're looking for opportunities to serve. We're looking for opportunities to communicate through our actions and even our words, the love of Jesus Christ, right? The compassion of Jesus Christ. We're looking for opportunities to, to, to communicate that, to bear witness to the fact that we are people who are living in God's kingdom that is now invading the earth. And so, yeah, we're living as people with our eyes wide open. When we're driving down the road, we're looking for opportunities to love and to serve. And to, to somebody um, uh, gives you a finger, you give them, oh, I forgive you, right? You're looking for that, right? I forgive you. A smile. I forgive you. We're looking for opportunities to be witness, to bear witness to the love of Jesus Christ in this, in this world. You see, God is calling us to live with our eyes wide open, to be people who sacrifice for service, that we might serve other people, and that we might pursue peace, that we might be peacemakers in this world. That was central to the teachings of Jesus Christ, um, that, that his, he and his followers would be people who pursue peace. Now, pursuing peace is difficult because it's not just about letting it go, but it's about making peace, being people of peace. In our workplace, we want to be valued because we're people of peace who bear witness to the fact that God reigns. And so, yeah, we practice letting go and being a peacemaker there. We practice forgiveness and repentance and being a peacemaker there because the kingdom of God has now arrived on earth and it is invading all the spaces, including our workplace, not just our churches, but including our workplace, our families, our neighborhoods, our homes. The kingdom of God has, has come and it is invading these spaces that we inhabit. And God is calling us to live like it. Don't just live in it, but live like the kingdom of God is here. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks that you give us this opportunity to open the scriptures and to study them. And God, I just pray that, um, yeah, you, you, will, um, you will use us in a powerful way that we might bear witness to the rule and reign of God, that we might bear witness to the fact that there's a God who loves not just us, but there's a God that loves 
this entire world. That there's a God who came and humbly died even though he was powerful. Even though he was actually king. He died on the cross for our sins that we might be set free. Not just free to enjoy our freedom, but free that we might live as people who bear witness to the kingdom of God. And God, this morning as we break bread together, God, I pray that we will reflect on opportunities that we've had and opportunities that we foresee where we can live out your word and live as citizens of your kingdom. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.